want to get into the word of the Lord here this morning. And uh, struggling a little bit with my voice today, obviously. The Lord will help me, I know. Uh, and we got a new reader here today. So we're going we're gonna to break him in right. Prepare yourself, my brother. Hallelujah. First um, Timothy chapter two. We are we are still in our series that we wanted to gear towards new converts, or at least have them in mind. And um, we we I went back and and looked and and. Um, there was still a little bit I had to cover on the last lesson, but, you know, when I got to looking at it, I thought, eh, we can do without that. I feel like going a different direction today, so we're going we're gonna to move on into a new area, and I went ahead and told them at the uh, sound booth just to call this part one because I know right now that I'm not going to finish this lesson. In fact, how many pages of scriptures did I give you? I think about six pages just of scriptures. Yeah, it's somewhere in there. That's all right. Um, I think I got something like 16 pages of notes. Seven pages of scriptures. All right. That's, that's the number of completion. So when we finish those seven pages, we'll be completed with this lesson. Praise God. All right, but we're going to talk about something that is crucial for every new convert, but it's, it's just as crucial for every child of God, regardless of how long you've been living for God. Now, I've taught along these lines many times in the past. In fact, um, some of you, I don't know, may have never been to the resources page on our website uh, com slash resources. But in those resources, there is a, a download option. You can purchase uh, a download of files where I've taught on this subject. And you get all the recordings and all the notes. And uh, this is from a number of years ago. And um, it's been a while since I've taught on this. And I really, really felt as I was preparing for today that this is the next area we need to cover in this series of lessons. And I know, as I said, we're going to be here for a while. I know it's going to take me a number of weeks. And uh, there's a good, good chance that we will not finish it before the end of the year. And, and even then, I may go into another aspect of this because I've got weeks and weeks of materials just on this one subject. But this is one of those things that it's not enough for you just to know it. You've got to put it into practice. This is one of those areas where you can't just be a hearer of the word. But you've got to be a doer also. 
So, having said that, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll begin with verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I, I, I exhort therefore. Now let me read this one first, brother, then, then we'll get to you. He's nervous. It'll be all right, Brother Seeley. You'll, you'll get through this. It, it won't be that bad. It won't be that bad. I'll get you to do all the rest of the reading, and I'll take care of the text, and we'll, we'll get it together. Praise God. It's going to be all right. This, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Knowing he feels this nervous, this is, pray for me that I don't give in to all of the temptation to uh, uh, to fall back into my old mischievous ways. You know, I outgrew all that, you understand. Well, let me put it this way. I'll tell you like my dad used to say. I don't do that anymore. I don't do it any less, but I don't do it anymore. <laughs> I used to hear him say that all the time. All right. Oh, Jesus, help me. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, everyone say first of all. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, above everything else, more important than any other plan that you might have, more important than any other obligation you may be facing. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I'm just going to throw this in. I want you to realize when Paul told Timothy to pray for kings. He was living under one of the most cruel emperors of all time. A man that hated Christians and was, was persecuting Christians. And Paul didn't tell Timothy, pray that God will get rid of this man. He didn't instruct Timothy to pray against him. He instructed him to pray for. Kings. And all their authority. Because he said, if we'll pray for them, we may be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life. If God would just touch the hearts of the kings. And he has done it before. He has done it before. Verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who will have all men to be saved. Now it, it kind of sounds like this is a continuation. It sounds like we ought to be praying or kings and those in authority, that they'd be saved. If I took a survey today, I wonder how many of you have prayed 
for those in authority in our country to be citizens. What got quiet all of a sudden? We, we are probably praying that they'll be replaced. But we need to pray that they'll be saved. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God reached down into the White House Brought him to his right mind enough to fill him with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Let him see the necessity of baptism in Jesus' name. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if that happened? Well, it can happen. And even in Paul's day, he wrote about those who lived in Caesar's house. That were saved. Either some of Caesar's family or some of his staff or servants, somebody in his house, more than one somebody, came to the truth. Well, this is totally off the subject, but I think it's important to say it. God wants all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And how's that going to happen? How are men going to be saved? And how are people going to come to the knowledge of the truth? Well, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. That's how it's going to happen. We're going to have to pray. And so today I am beginning a lesson. And I think this is... I think this is lesson six, but it's part one. Um, that I'm entitling the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Why don't we put our Bibles down? Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our voices. Let's talk to God right now. Let's ask for his help. Can we do that? I really want the Lord to help us today. Let's. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to the Let's just praise him one more time, everybody. Let's give God some praise. Let's give God some praise. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. You know, there are numerous verses of Scripture that declare that God wants the first fruits. He wants the first fruits. In fact, sometimes we, we get a wrong concept in our mind that 
Well, because I gave 10%, I've met my obligation. But God doesn't just want 10%. God wants the first 10%. God always wants the first fruits. That's why I've, I've dealt with this so many times that I feel absolutely redundant in saying it, but I'll say it again, that, that before I do anything, when I get a check, it goes into my account, the very first thing I do, before I pay a bill, before I do anything, is I write a check for God's part. That's first. That comes off the top. The second thing I do is I give God a free will offering. And then I'll see what I can do about paying bills after that's finished. But I start by giving God the first 10%. That's what He wants. God always wants the first fruits. He wants the first fruits. So with that in mind, I want you to consider again the verse we read in our text. And so now, brother Celia, it's your turn. Read for me. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort thee, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be for all men. Man, that's, that's almost the golden voice. I, that's... That's nearly the, we're going to have to start calling him the silver voice of Pentecost here. All right. Praise God. Um, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, first of all, everyone say first of all. Now, we know and believe, according to 1 Timothy 3.16, that God has divinely inspired all Scripture. All Scripture is divinely inspired. And so it is God who's speaking in this verse, not just the Apostle Paul. This is not just Paul's opinion. This is what God is saying. God's the one who states first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks should be offered. You know, I, I started stressing this, trying to stress this to the men in Africa because it was their custom. They, they'd go in and they'd just crank up the music. And so the first thing they'd do is just get music going. When, as soon as they could get a musician there, they'd have the music going. And they'd start singing and dancing, and that's the way they'd start their services. And I started teaching them, you know, first of all, there should be prayer. Before you just go running to the platform and start singing and dancing, there ought to be some prayer. Start your services with prayer. That's why we have what we call pre-service prayer. We're actually giving God the first part. We're going to spend that time, first of all, talking to Him. Before we do anything else, we're going to spend some time talking to God. Prayer should be the first thing 
that we do. Now, I'm going to tell you, saints of God, please hear me. I'm not, I'm not preaching that it's a sin if you don't do it this way. But I'm going to tell you, it's, I believe, a mistake for you to wait until your day is done and then spend time praying. I really believe you're making a grave mistake to end your day with prayer if you didn't start it with prayer. Now, if you want to do both, that's great. That's wonderful. But I just believe you ought to start the day with prayer. Get your mind in in the right frame. Get your spirit right. Get your heart right before the day ever begins. By the time you've gone through the day and you decide to pray, you've already fought your battles. You've already faced your giants. You've already dealt with your problems. But if you'll start your day with prayer, if you'll begin your day with prayer, you'll find that the day will go much better. Now, you'll still have problems. You'll still deal with situations. But you're going to find the grace you need to face those things if you'll start your day with prayer. Our primary obligation as a child of God is to pray. That's our primary obligation. That is our most important responsibility. Prayer is not an option. It's a mandate. It's a commandment. But above that, it's a privilege. Prayer is a privilege. Think about this. The king of the universe says, you can walk into my throne room anytime you want to. And we'll talk more about this as the lesson unfolds. Probably not today. Maybe, I don't know when when we'll get to it. But we're going to talk a little bit about Queen Esther before uh, we get too far through this lesson. But, but, But I want to tell you, even for her as the queen over the largest kingdom in the world, she couldn't just walk into his throne, into his throne room without risking her life. Even as the queen. We don't have to worry about that today. We can walk into the throne room of the king over all kings. The master of the universe. We can walk directly and boldly into his throne. And just make our petitions known to him. It's a privilege that we have. Now listen, prayer has got to be above all. It's got to be, it's got to be more important to us than holiness. And I, I'm spending weeks teaching on separation. I'm spending weeks showing you. I don't want you to think that I don't believe holiness is important. Of course it is. I'm dealing with that right now in our midweek services. But what I'm trying to get across to you is that even more important than holiness is prayer. 
Because if all you have is an outward holiness and you don't have a relationship with God, you are clothing yourself with your own righteousness. And Isaiah said that all of our righteousness is filthy rags. He does, God does not want us clothing ourselves with our righteousness. He wants us clothed in His righteousness. And that can only happen as we spend time in prayer. This church knows I believe in outreach. I've, I've taught lessons on it. Talked about the importance. Talked about how it's got to become a lifestyle. But I'm going to tell you more important than outreach is prayer. Because if you don't pray, your outreach is going to be wasted. In fact, when I just teach on outreach, one of the things, I put this in a book that I helped to write several years ago. I said the process really ought to be this. We ought to start out talking to God about men. And then we go talk to men about God. And when we're finished, we go back and talk to God about men again. Praise God. Prayer has got to be above worship. Above our praise, I should say. Prayer is a part of worship. But it's got to be above our praise. We need to spend time talking. It's just got to be above every other aspect of our Christian walk. It's got to become vitally important to us. I, I was talking to someone about this just, I think, maybe a week ago. Um, but but I, I've got a book in my office. Um, where this is quoted. And, and in 1906, in the original Pentecostal meetings at Azusa Street in Los Angeles, there was a prophecy that went forth. And there were three things in that prophecy, and I'm not going to go into all of those today, but one of those things, this is what it said, and I'm quoting, in the last day, just before the return of Jesus Christ, there will be an emphasis on praise to a God they no longer pray to. There will be an emphasis on praise to a God they no longer pray to. We have lived to see that day. I'm telling you, I go off to meetings, even supposedly conservative meetings. And, and the whole focus is praise, 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 praise. In fact, I, I, I was looking at a service online sometime back from a large conference. And, and the, the speaker that night did a phenomenal job of calling everyone to a moment of commitment and prayer. It was a, it was a youth meeting. And I watched these young people stirred in their hearts come to the front crying and, 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 and reaching out to God. And whoever was leading the service stepped up, took the mic and said, No, no, no. It's not time for you to cry and pray. It's time to rejoice. And he had the singers change the music to something fast. Let's shout. Let's dance. 
And I thought he just ruined the whole message. The entire effect of that message was just lost. Praise God. And so we've got to understand, we've got to get to a place that we know and understand how important prayer is. We can't just praise a God we're not willing to pray to. Look, I want to tell you, church, I can't stress this enough. You can't be saved if you don't pray. And, And listen to me. A praying man does not backslide. And a backslidden man stopped praying somewhere along the line. I'm just telling you. Somewhere there was a failure to continue a relationship of prayer. Now they can blame others. They can point their finger at the preacher. They can point their finger at people in the church. But I'm telling you somewhere they quit praying. And if you will pray and pray regularly, you won't backslide. You just won't. Church, let me tell you something. Hell is not afraid of a big church. Hell is not afraid of a wealthy church. Hell is not even afraid of a shouting church. Hell is not afraid of a holiness church. But hell trembles when there is a praying church. Listen, I want us to be a loving church. I have stressed it and stressed it and stressed it. I want this to be five star. When people walk in the doors, I want want them to be received well. And you all are doing a phenomenal job. But above everything else, I want God to see this as a praying church. Are you hearing me? I don't want us walking in the doors and just taking pre-service prayer for granted. Saints of God, we know how to get a hold of God. We know how to pray. This church knows how to touch God. Let's take advantage of the knowledge God has given us. And let's put forth the effort to reach out and pray. When those seven sons of Sceva adjured the evil spirit to come out. Do you remember what that demon said? Said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are you? Well, let me me just help you understand that statement. Jesus was a praying man. Hello? Hello? Paul was a praying man. Evil spirits are not afraid of people who don't pray. I'm telling you, if you don't do anything else in your walk with God, you have to pray. Hell is happy if we don't pray. But the kingdom of God is happy if we do pray. Well, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, 
I'm just, I'm going to lay some things out here today. It's, it's, it's just home, folks. So let me just be blunt and plain and be pastor for a little bit here this morning. But I'm going to tell you something. If you'll pray, you're not ever going to have a problem with what's being preached through, across the pulpit. Well, now let me correct that. Let me correct that. You won't, you won't harbor a problem. Sometimes you're going to have a problem. Sometimes it's going to hit hard. Sometimes it's going to bother you. But if you'll pray, you'll get through it. You won't linger with a bad attitude toward the pulpit if you pray. It just won't happen. Have you ever stopped to think about what's accomplished by prayer? You ever stopped to really give that consideration? First of all, prayer is how we become led by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You want to be a child of God? You want to be a child of God? Here's what the Bible says. You've got to be led by the Spirit. You've got to be led by the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So let's look at the reverse of that. If you're not led by the Spirit, then you're not the sons of God. Look, this is this is this one verse, this one verse forever destroys this idea of accepting Christ as your Savior and you're forever saved. This verse alone does it. Because it doesn't say that as long as you've accepted Christ, you don't have to be led by the Spirit. You've just accepted Christ. You're saved. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if they've been baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Ghost. If they're not led by the Spirit, the Bible says they're not really the sons of God. So as much as we want everybody to be saved, Oh, we want everybody to be saved. We, we ought to. I want everybody to be saved. But I'm not so foolish as to think everybody is saved. The scripture is very clear. Those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And you can't be led by the Spirit if you don't spend time in the Spirit. Prayer Number two, first of all, prayer is how you become led by the Spirit. Secondly, prayer is how you make your requests known to God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This is how we let God know what the needs are in our life. Oh, yeah, he knows. But I'm telling you, he loves to hear us ask. In fact, he commands us to ask. Ask and it shall be given you. Not just wish. Not just hope. Ask. Number three, prayer is how the lost 
are saved. Isaiah 66 verse 8. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. As soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Do we really want to see a revival in this assembly? Do we really want to? That was a really weak response. Do we really want to see a revival in this assembly? Do we really want to see our lost loved ones saved? I'm going to tell you, there's one thing we got to do. we got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. Not just talk about prayer, but pray. Um, I think it was our last trip to Africa. No, it was, it was the one at the first of the year. Uh, the first of the year when we went to Africa. I was so frustrated. Oh, Jesus, I was frustrated. Because they had somebody leading the service one day. And, and they were trying to have pre-service prayer. But this guy... He was saying, let us pray for such and such. And he'd give this three-minute speech about what we need to be praying about. And then he'd jabber something that he's supposed to be talking in tongues. It sounded more like a machine gun going off. And, and then as soon as he was done with that, and let us pray for... And then he would go into some other diatribe and then jabber again. And then, and let us pray for... And I'm thinking, man, would you just stop telling us what to pray for and pray? We don't need a step-by-step instruction. We just need people to pray. Finally, Brother Stewart got so, so fed up with it that he told one of the leaders, he said, go, go take the pulpit. Take, don't, that man doesn't need to be leading. Go take the pulpit. And so the guy did, and he, he actually led us into a, a place of prayer and worship, and we were able to move on from there. But, but this... This is how it happens, church. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. Now, I want to tell you one of the reasons why people don't pray regularly. And I think if you're one of those that you struggle with having a consistent prayer life, I would dare say this may very well be part of the problem. And that is, not all prayer is equal. And not all prayer gets answered. And usually what discourages people from praying is because they're not seeing answers. Can we be honest about it? Listen to me. If if every time you fell to your knees and asked God for something, He just did it. How often do you think you'd pray? Well, I think that if if God answered every prayer, I think it would kind of encourage some of you to pray a little more because I think it it would build your faith to the place that, well, hey, God gave me this, so maybe He'll give me this. And then He gave me that too, and so maybe He'll give me this. 
I think that getting our prayers answered does build our faith. And if we don't have faith, it hinders us praying. And so what I want to do in this lesson is not just get up here and tell you, you need to pray, you need to pray. I want to help teach you how to pray. Some prayers accomplish nothing at all except taking up time. Well, I didn't hear any amens, but that's the truth. Let's go to Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. I want you to look at this. Two men are praying here. Look at the difference. Luke 18, verses 10 through 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased. And every one that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now look, both of these men prayed. But only one accomplished anything worthwhile. Both men spent time. Both said words. Only one got anything done. And did you notice what the Bible said in verse number 11? It said that the Pharisee prayed with himself. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. And this prayer was all about reminding God how good he was. Not how good God was, how good the Pharisee was. The publican, on the other hand, wouldn't even lift his head toward heaven. But he admitted he was a sinner and he needed God's help. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. Not the good man who walked in good and walked out good. He wasn't going to change his ways. He was doing the right things. He was paying his tithes. He was fasting regularly, right? He was doing what he was supposed to do, and that wasn't going to change. But here was another man who was doing wrong until this moment. But there came a genuine, heartfelt prayer. And I can promise you, he went home a different man. The Pharisee was saying words, he was spending time, but he wasn't getting anywhere with God. And unfortunately, a lot of our prayers as apostolics can be the same way. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, 
for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. All right, listen to me, saints. And I'm going to get into this in depth as, as we go into this lesson more. But I want to tell you, as apostolics, we have a lot of vain repetition. We're supposed to be praying, but we're just saying the same words over and over and over. And over. Oh, God, move. Oh, God, move. Oh, God, move. What does that mean? How do you want him to move? Where do you want him to move? When do you want him to move? Why do you want him to move? We pray these generic prayers and just use vain repetition. I remember years ago, uh, I was pastoring in another state. We had a Christian school, and we had a young girl that had gotten caught um, doing some things that she shouldn't have done. I don't remember now if she was cheating in her work or she lied. I don't remember. But anyhow, I had to bring her into the office and deal with her. And one of the things that we always did is we would have the kids pray a prayer of repentance and ask God to forgive them. And so I remember telling this young girl, she was probably 10 or 11 years old. She was definitely old enough to understand. And I said, all right, now I want you to pray and ask God to forgive you. And she started saying, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I said, no, 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 no. I want you to pray. So she closed her eyes. Thank you, Jesus. I, I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. That's all I could get her to do. And it dawned on me, she didn't know how to pray. Evidently, that's all she ever heard her parents do. Oh, it's quiet this morning. Maybe I need to tell some jokes again or something. I don't know. But we can be just as guilty of vain repetition as the Catholics who are saying, Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. I mean, honestly, some of our prayers are about as meaningful as that. We need to think about what we're saying. I had a pastor call me the other day. He said, I want to know something. Have you ever prayed? And then as soon as you said something, you stopped and think, now, what did that even mean? I said, yeah, I have. I have. We've got to be careful, church, that we don't just fall into this rut of just saying what's comfortable rather than actually praying prayers. We've got to try to make our prayers effective. Or, as the King James Version says, effectual. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual the fervent, effectual fervent prayer, prayer of, of a righteous of a man, righteous man availeth, availeth much. Availeth much. 
I want to tell you something. I want my prayers to avail much. I want my prayers to get things done. We're going to talk about this as we go into this lesson. But, but, but look, Moses had such a walk with God that God spoke to him one day and said, Let me alone that I could destroy these people. I'm talking about a man who didn't even have the Holy Ghost. But God would not bring judgment because of the prayer of Moses. We can have that kind of a prayer life. We can have that kind of a walk with God. And God wants us to. I had a, I'm not patting myself on the back, but those of you who know Elder D.C. Moody, you know, he doesn't mess around. And um, if, if ever there was a prophet in our age, I believe the man was. My first time to ever have him preach for me was, was when I was in Mississippi. And uh, I shouldn't, probably shouldn't have told you where, but anyhow, most of you know. But this goes out on the Internet, and so it will get circulated. And so, But, but. That was the first time I'd ever had him preach for me. And it was an amazing thing how it worked out for him to come. My pastor, I was on the phone with my pastor seeking advice over some situations I was dealing with. And my pastor recommended that I call him. Um, just a couple of days before that, I think it was, I was on the phone with another pastor talking to him. He had recommended that I call him. And neither of these men knew that the other one had made this recommendation. And so, you know, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So I said, well, you know what? I guess I better call Elder Moody. So I called him. And, and he, said, he said, Brother Riggin, he said, God spoke to me, I forget, a year ago, I think he said, and told me I was coming to that place. He said, I don't even know where it is. But God told me a year ago I was coming. I've just been waiting on your phone call. He said, I need five nights. I said, Elder, you can have anything you want. And so he came in, and I'm telling you, he evermore walked in the Holy Ghost, quoting people word for word. They were convinced I'd sat down and told him everything. We had not talked. In fact, he wouldn't even talk to me that week. The first night when service was over, I invited him to eat, and he said, nope. He said, you and I will not fellowship this week until the last night. He said, tomorrow morning before the sun rises, I will be out of town. He said, I'm going to go spend time in another city. I'm going to make contact with a pastor there so he can verify I was in his town. He said, this church is going to know that you and I are not communicating. Because God's going to do something this week. Well, one night, about the third night, I think, into, the, into this week of preaching was either the third or fourth night I'd gone down to the church early to pray before pre-service prayer and Elder Moody was in there and he saw me and he came walking up to me in his inimitable strut and he said I need to see you in the office 
I'm going to tell you that's first time I'd ever as a pastor had an evangelist call me into the office. But with Elder Moody, I didn't fuss about it. I just said, yes, sir, and we went into the office. He got right up in my face, and he stuck his finger in my face. And he said, God said, stop it. And my mind started racing. Dear God, what am I doing wrong? I'm trying, I mean, I'm ready to start repenting for things I didn't even know I'd done. And I looked at him in shock. And he said, God told me, you're praying for mercy for these people. And he wants to send judgment. And God said, stop praying for mercy. I'm going to tell you, saints of God, we can have that kind of a prayer life. Where God listens to what we've got to say. I want an effectual prayer life. I want a prayer life that works. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This word effectual comes from a Greek word that, that it, it is the word Energeo, energeo. Now, I want you to think about this. Ener it is the word from which we get our English word energy. Defined, the word means to be active. It means to be efficient. It, it means to be mighty in. The word efficient means producing results with a minimum of wasted effort. That's what effectual prayer is. The least amount of wasted effort to bring about the greatest results. That's the kind of prayer I want to pray. The root word for this is energes. Which means active, operative, powerful, producing or having adequate power to produce an intended effect. Legally valid or binding. Effectual prayer. Effectual prayer. And then he said the effectual fervent prayer. And, and, and this word fervent comes from the Greek word zealous. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get our word zeal or zealous. See, you, I, I've told you before, you know more Greek than you think you do. Because there's a whole lot of the English language that's just Greek words that, that have been brought over, anglicized. The root word for this is zeo. Which means to be boiling hot, earnest or fervid. The word earnest means intent and direct in purpose. Fervid means fervent to an extreme degree, most impassioned, moved by or showing great warmth or intensity, very hot, burning. That's what fervent prayer is. 
So fervent prayer is the result of being moved by an intense passion or feeling showing the most extreme degree of earnest zeal. Another word for zeal is ardor, which means warmth or intensity or passion or affection, eagerness, vehemence, zeal. Now this word righteous, righteous comes from a Greek word, uh, dikaios, which means equitable in character, innocent, holy, just, right. Equitable, mean, equitable means impartially just, fair, reasonable, conforming to a standard of right and justice, virtuous, morally right. So to be righteous is to conform to God's standard of what is right. This doesn't mean you're impeccable. doesn't mean you're flawless. It means you're living up to God's standards. This is why I teach on standards. This is why we have standards. God does have standards of holiness. And it is the effectual fervent prayer of someone who's living up to God's standards. This word availeth is from a Greek word that means to have force, to be able to do, to prevail. Forcefulness, ability, might, power, strength, to assist or aid, to profit, to be of value or advantage, to suffice. And so prayers which avail are forceful prayers that have ability. They've got might, they've got power, they've got strength to be of sufficient value and profit so as to prevail with God. So here's what I'm telling you, effectual prayer is being mightily active in prayer that operates in such a way as to have adequate power to produce the intended effect of being legally valid or binding. So having said all that, it's been a long time since I've given you the Riggin revised version of anything. But those of you that have been around a while, you remember from time to time this is the way I go in and translate this verse. And this is not just the Riggin revised, but it's the Riggin revised and amplified. You know, you know, have you ever used the Amplified Bible? If you don't have an Amplified Bible, you really ought to get one. It's, it's really worth your time. But you think about what does amplification do? Right? It makes it makes it louder, makes it bigger to amplify something. So the Amplified Version takes the King James and it expands the verse to give you a greater depth of what that verse means. It's what it means to amplify it. Okay? So this is not just the Riggin Revised Version, but the Riggin Revised and Amplified. And here's what it says. The powerfully mighty and efficient prayer coming from the extreme passion and earnest zeal of a person who conforms to God's standard of virtue and morality has forceful ability to sufficiently prevail. I'm telling you, we need a prayer life like that. We need to be able to touch God like that. Oh, hallelujah. 
And it is possible. It really is. Your prayer life can be just like that. But it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. I've said it so many times. Unfortunately, we live in a microwave world. We live in the world of instant potatoes. And we want instant everything else. We want instant revival. We want instant church growth. We want instant spiritual growth. We want instant answers. Right? AI is out there now. We can tell it to write a speech. We don't have to take the time to do any research. It pulls from all the sources. It creates the speech for us. In fact, last night I was, I was doing some work with, with an AI tool. I, I read one paragraph into this. It then took anything that I submitted and it would read it back to me in my voice. Really scary. But what that means is I can get AI to write a speech and read it in my voice. That's it's it is crazy and it's it's scary. Although I'll tell you, to me, I'm seriously considering if I can tweak this thing just right. Creating audio form of my books. And I don't have to sit and read it. AI will read it in my voice. You'd be surprised how much it sounds like me. And I, I'm, I, I played it, the first attempt, I played it for my wife. I said, who is this? She said, that's you. I said, no, it's not. It's pretty amazing. But, but this is the deal. We've reached a point where we want everything instantly. I mean, we can now write books. AI can write the book for us. It doesn't take weeks of research. It doesn't take months of preparation. We want everything instantly. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to the things of God, we don't get things instantly. With God, there's still some work involved. We've got to learn to abandon that microwave mentality that causes us to expect instant results in whatever we set out to accomplish. Because when it comes to the things of God and it comes to prayer, now, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, the qualifier is there's times you're, you're in, an, in an emergency and you call on His name. I mean, I watched Jesus... I watched him raise the dead at just the mention of his name. I didn't have to pray a long time for him to do it. That was an instant answer. 
But I'm going to tell you that doesn't come because every time we just expect instant answers. It comes based on a relationship that leads up to that moment. We don't see the apostles having to pray and pray and pray for hours to cast out demons or perform miracles. But you want to know why we don't see them doing that? Because they're praying and praying and praying for hours before they ever get to that point. And so I want you to know, I hope over the next few weeks to be able to give you some tips on prayer. And, and I, I don't mind admitting to you that, that a lot of what I'm giving you, um, I learned from, from a man who is now deceased. Uh, I was young, fairly young in the ministry when someone gave me the recordings of Elder Verbal Bean. And his lessons on prayer and the works of the Holy Ghost, those lessons, as I listened to that man, had such an impact on me. In fact, we talked earlier about Elder Moody, and he said that that's how he learned about walking in the Spirit. It, 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 the church that he went to was not even that conservative. But he learned about all of this from listening to Elder Bean. Now, Brother Steve Carrier in Salina, Kansas, has taken and transcribed those recordings and put them into book form. We can get you copies of those books if you if you want them. We've sold them in the past. We can do it again. But I'm just telling you up front that a lot of the material that I'm going to be sharing with you, I learned from Brother Bean. Other things I learned from my pastor. From being in prayer meetings with him. And listening to him pray. What we're going to do. I'm trying to decide how far I want to go today. I know we've still got about 30 minutes. But... Um, We'll start. We'll, we'll get started on it, and then uh, I don't know if we'll get through all of this part of it, but we'll go as far as we can on this. But, but we're going to look to the prophet Daniel. Because I think outside of Jesus Christ, there may be no greater example of a prayer warrior than there was of Daniel. Daniel knew how to pray. And Daniel did so consistently. In fact, he did it even when it was against the law. And he wasn't ashamed to do it. He opened his window and let the world hear him pray. When he knew it was illegal to do that. But listen to me. He didn't start that when the law was passed. He was just maintaining his own habits. He'd been doing this long before. In fact, that's why the law got passed. Because those who hated him and those who were jealous of him couldn't find anything else to condemn him by. So they said, we know 
He prays all the time. So let's stop prayer to anybody, to any other gods. And if we can stop prayer to another god, we know we'll catch him. So they passed the law because he prayed regularly. He didn't pray regularly because the law was passed. You understand? So I want to take you through what I see as Daniel's lesson on effective prayer. Because I think Daniel gives us some components that need to be a part of our prayer if our prayers are going to be effectual. All right, first of all, let's, let's go to Daniel chapter 9. This is, this is a great example of, of Daniel's prayer. One of Daniel's prayers. And so let's go to Daniel chapter 9 and let's look at this prayer and let's break it down and examine it. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Now, let me, let me just encourage you. If, you. if you mark your Bible, I would somehow mark this verse of Scripture. Deuteronomy, I mean, Daniel 9.19. The reason is because in this one verse, I see clearly some essential components to effectual prayer. This one verse of Scripture outlines for us an approach to God that I have found through the years to work. It just works. It works. And so this verse is crucial to you, child of God. Amen. Mark it down. Make reference to it. Be able to go back to it. Find it. Know where it is. Underline the parts that I'm going to highlight for you. Or if you carry a highlighter, highlight these parts. But highlight them separately. No, don't just underline the whole verse. I want you to look at the breakdown of what he says. What's the first thing that Daniel does? As this prayer begins. What are his first words? Oh Lord, hear. Alright, that's the first thing. What, I'm, what, what I want you to see in this is that Daniel is doing what he can to get God's attention. If our prayers are going to get anywhere, we've got to make sure we've got God's attention. Right? We want to know that God's listening to us. We want to know that God is looking down on us while we're praying. I mean, Esther could, again, to go back to Esther, she could go stay in her room and lay out everything she needed. But the king would never have granted it. The king had to hear her 
request. She had to take it to him and get his attention. So first of all, we've got to get God's attention. And let me just tell you, let me give you a little clue here. If we're going to get God's attention, he's got to have our full attention. Let's be honest. How many times have we prayed and our mind was wandering somewhere? How many times have we, we, we're, we're saying things, we know we're praying, but really our mind is a million miles away. We don't even know what we're praying about. If we really want to get God's attention, God's got to have our attention. Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now, now look at this. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Enter into thy closet. Now, you know, I remember as a new convert, 12 years old, I'd heard my pastor use this verse. So I thought that's what we were literally supposed to do. So I can remember literally going into the closet and shutting the door, and that's where I'd pray. I thought that's what he meant. But you see, the point of what he's saying is get to a place where you've shut everything else out. Stop all the other noise. You know what I mean by that? I, I, I'm saying you've got to get to a place where you're not thinking about other things. You're not focused on other things. You're not distracted by other things. I remember calling Elder Von Morton some years ago, and uh, I'd, I'd, this was before cell phones were extremely popular. They were out there, but they weren't, not everybody had them, and, and they were expensive to have, and you only got a limited number of minutes, and so. You know, most people didn't give out their cell phone number except to those who had to have it. And so I didn't have a way of just calling Elder Morton directly. I called his church. And, and I called, and the secretary answered, and I said, I'd like to speak with Pastor Morton. And she said, well, sir, he's in prayer right now. Could you call back in about an hour? And I said, yeah, I can do that. But I loved that. I love the fact that he had trained his secretary, when I'm in prayer, I'm not to be disturbed. We let our cell phones get more of our attention than God. We really do. Have you ever been praying and all of a sudden your cell phone went off? Text message comes through, and what do we do? We got to see who's texting us. Right? We become a slave to this thing. And God gets put on a lower shelf. But I'm going to tell you, if we really want God's attention, God's got to have our attention. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, 
we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. All right, now he's, he's talking about how we do spiritual warfare and tells us that our weapons are mighty. They will pull down strongholds. But then he begins to explain how this is going to happen. Casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing, every that, high exalt thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Uh-huh. And bringing into captivity. Bringing into captivity. Every thought. Every thought. To the obedience of Christ. Let me tell you something, church. This is an active work that's got to go on. We have got to constantly grab our thoughts and bring them into captivity. Our minds are prone to wander. But when we are trying to get the attention of heaven, we've got to reach out and grab those thoughts. We can't let them go all over the place. We've got to bring them into captivity. Every thought, every thought, every thought has got to come into captivity. I used to hear Elder Wayne McLean, who was a praying man. He would teach and he would, he would make the statement. He said, too many people just pray until they touch God. And once they touch God and they feel God's presence, they're done praying. They feel like that's all they needed to do. But this is what he told us. He said, pray until you touch God and then really pray. Once you know you've touched God, that's the time to really pray. Touching God is not the ultimate goal. That's not the finish line. That's the starting point. That's where it all begins. And so we've gone through this long list of things. God, we need you to do this. We need you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to take care of this. God, fix this and solve that. And then we get into a place where we're really pressing on. We start pressing on. We feel, God, oh, wonderful. I feel the touch of God and we leave. That's backwards. Pray until you touch God and then make your petitions known. The first thing Daniel did was, oh Lord, hear. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes God is only listening for a certain thing. I told you this is going to take some work. We're going to deal with what, what Elder Bean called the proper channels of prayer. We're going to deal with that later on in these lessons. But I, but I do want you to know there are times that, that God only wants you to come in and give Him thanks. That's all He wants. There are times that God wants supplication. We'll talk about the difference between prayer and supplication and intercession. Three levels of prayer. We'll talk about that. There are times that all God wants is supplication. He wants that deep, deep praying. There are times that God wants you to get into intercession. And there are times that God will only accept prayer. And you just don't go any deeper than that. And you've got to have the faith to just keep on praying. And we'll talk about all of that later on. I'll explain all of that in greater detail later. Not right now. 
But I'm just telling you, we the first step is, oh Lord, here. Everyone say, oh Lord, here. Everyone say, oh Lord, here. That's the first step. We've got to get the attention of God, whatever that takes. Now, I'm going to throw this in as well, because a lot of times getting the attention of God is coming into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We enter in that way. And so a lot of times that's how we get God's attention. We start out with praise. We start out giving God thanks. We start out worshiping God. Magnifying God because He inhabits our praise. So if we'll start out, rather than starting out with our list of requests, start out with praise, you might find all of a sudden you're in His presence. And that's where you're trying to get. I want to get into the throne room because I've got some petitions I need answered. I need God's attention. And so I'm going to give him my attention. And I'm going to start with some words of praise and gratitude. And see if I can't get into his presence. And that's where my real prayer begins. All right? The next thing. Now, I want you to look at what we did. Let's go back and look at Daniel 9.19. So the first thing that you ought to highlight or underline is, Oh, Lord, here. Oh, Lord, here. Then what's the next thing that Daniel says? Oh, Lord, forgive. Or we say that. Oh, Lord, forgive. This is the first one, O oh Lord, here is the process of getting God's attention. This is the process of getting God's favor. I don't just want his attention, I want his favor. Now, there are only two men in the Bible specifically called beloved by the Lord. One of those was Daniel. Daniel was a righteous man. He was a godly man. A man whom God loved. With a very special love. When the angel appeared before Daniel, you can go back and read it. When the angel appeared before Daniel, he said, Oh man, greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. But can I tell you, a man that was greatly beloved started his prayer off with repentance. Isn't that amazing? Daniel didn't reach a place where he didn't need to repent. I actually heard, I didn't hear the man say it, but I was told that a very, very well-known oneness apostolic preacher some years ago was telling people that he reached such a place in his walk with God that he never had to repent. Well, I'm going to tell you that one statement alone he needed to repent over. He just crossed the line. It's time to go back and do it now. Daniel was greatly beloved. 
But he wanted to make sure there's nothing in my heart. There's nothing in my life. I'm telling you, we cannot find God's favor if there's sin in our life. In fact, we can't even get God's attention. Listen to what Psalm 66 verse 18 says. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I know there's sin there and I don't deal with it, God won't listen to me. He just won't. I have to deal with the sin in my life. And here's a man greatly beloved. I doubt there was sin in his life, but he's making sure. God, if I've done anything, I want it cleansed. I want it taken care of. Now, listen, there is a list of sins that Daniel included in this prayer. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Daniel 9, verses 4 through 6. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. I made confession. And said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. We have sinned. And we have committed iniquity. We've committed iniquity. And have done wickedly. We've done wickedly. And have rebelled. We have rebelled. Even by departing from thy precepts. We've departed from your precepts. And from thy judgments. We've departed from your judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets. We've not listened to the prophets. Which which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers. And to all the people on the land. So Daniel is here praying and repenting. And he's saying we've not kept your covenant. We've not obeyed your commands. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. We've departed from your precepts. We've, we've ignored the preacher's message. Now, I would point out to you that he puts this in the plural. Daniel's not saying, I've done these things. But he's speaking on behalf of his people. So even when Daniel himself had not done it, he was praying a collective prayer of repentance for the people of God. You know, we can sit around and criticize America and the condition of America. But again, I want to ask you, When's the last time you prayed a prayer of repentance for our nation? God, forgive us for murdering babies. God, forgive us for promoting perversion. When's the last time you prayed a prayer of collective repentance? When's the last time you prayed a prayer of collective repentance for the church you're a part of? God, forgive us. You know, I've talked about the importance of pre-service prayer. And, and, and how many times have we walked in and pre-service prayer was a struggle? Do you ever come back and say, God, forgive us? As a church, we should have done better. Set through a service that we really never had the touch of God we needed in that service. 
You ever just come back and say, God, forgive us. We should have done better. The service should have gone better than that. Forgive us, God. Instead of pointing your finger at somebody else, well, boy, so-and-so just sat there tonight. How about taking some of that responsibility onto yourself? Did you try hard enough to overcome that? Or did you focus on them not responding and thereby you failed to respond as well as you should have? Well, we're getting a little deep here this morning for a new converts class. But But this is necessary. I'm telling you, every year, every year, I want that year to be the year of unprecedented revival. We're about to start a brand new year, and I want that year to be a year when the rain falls. I want a deluge. I want a flood. I want it to be the year of productivity. But saints of God, we've got to do better. We've got to reach a place where we take responsibility. We're not pointing our fingers at somebody else. We assume the responsibility. We're going to pray harder. We're going to worship more. We're going to get with the preacher more. We're going to give more. We're going to pray more. We're going to do more. Forgive us, God. Taking on this collective attitude. Now, if you go and read Elder Bean's book or you listen to his tape, to his recordings, wherever, I think you can actually find the recordings on YouTube. The quality is horrible. It's really, really bad. And and the ones, the tapes that I got, I got some cassette tapes. The quality was terrible. And um, a lot of reasons for that. Number one, they were using an old reel-to-reel sitting in the room, so it wasn't even going through the sound system. So it's picking up all the background noise of the room. And number two, it was on a reel-to-reel, and when they transferred that over, they had a problem getting it transferred to another kind of tape, and it kind of bled through. So some of the other recording is playing in the background during the one recording you're trying to listen to. It's just the quality's terrible. Um, but you can, you can find it out there and listen to it. And one of the things you'll hear him say, or if you read the book, you'll read, he made this statement, and I quote, he said, for saints to get, now he was very country, he was from Texas, he talked like an old country preacher, his grammar wasn't always perfect, but he said this, and I quote, to get all crossed up with a preacher, they just as well quit praying. God's not going to hear them. Now those are the words of Elder Bean. If there's a problem in your heart that you can't listen to a preacher, you can't, you can't submit to a preacher, Don't expect God to listen to your prayers. 
you got to get it fixed. If Daniel had to pray, oh, Lord, forgive, then who are we to think we don't have to? Now, there's a whole lot here. And I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time. And there's, there's so much. This is why I was worried about trying to go forward. But let, let's talk about a little while this process of finding forgiveness. First of all, we've got to remember there are sins of commission, which is a direct violation of Scripture, and there are sins of omission. That is, things that you should do but don't. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin. So, so look, I'm not trying to put condemnation on people. I'm telling you, every one of us have a reason for constant repentance. We all have reason for constant repentance. Here's another one. You're looking for something to repent over? How about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7? Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now you listen to me. Marital strife hinders prayer. We're talking about we're talking about having effectual prayer. And the inspired word of God says, you got to get along with your spouse. You have to. Or your prayers are hindered. You have an obligation before God to treat your spouse right. And God makes no exceptions. He doesn't say you don't have to worry about this if. God doesn't give a bunch of exclusions here. If there's marital strife at home, if there's if there's a problem with your relationship, it affects your prayers negatively. You need to fix it. And that doesn't mean, yeah, my spouse has got to make things right with me. No. That means you take the responsibility. And you fix it. Well, I'm... We need to put on the schedule another marriage conference, I think. It's feeling a little tight in here right now. We, we've, got, we, we've got to do it, saints of God. We've got to get it right. We can't just treat our spouse any old way and then expect God to listen to us when we pray. You know, the husband and wife relationship is supposed to be a symbol of Christ and the church. So, husband, I want to ask you, 
The way you treat your spouse, is that the way Christ treats his church? And wife, I want to ask you, the way you treat your husband, is that the way the church is supposed to treat Christ? Say, well, my husband's not Christ. No, and you're not the church either. But your lives are supposed to be symbolic of that. And whether the other spouse is living up to their part or not, you still have the responsibility on your part. All right, that's another lesson for another day. We're not going to get all this finished if I don't hurry up. Ooh, we've got three minutes. I still got a lot to go on this one point. Let's see if I can kick this into high gear. Um, we're going to skip over some of this, Brother Brother Seeley. So this is where you really get put to the test here is you're just going to have to find where I'm at. Um, let's go down to 1 John 1, 9. Do you see that one on there? It's on there somewhere, 1 John 1, 9. All right, let's, let's go there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Look, we've got to believe that I've, I've dealt with this. We've got to believe that God's word is true. If we confess our sins, we forsake our sins, then God is faithful to forgive us. We've got to accept that forgiveness by faith. Don't grieve God by constantly asking forgiveness for the same thing. Of course, don't grieve God by doing the same thing over and over and then asking for forgiveness either. Another thing that will help is learn to pray the scriptures. Find some of the psalms that include prayers. Many of the psalms are prayers. Include those things in your prayers. That way you know you're praying right. And there's another thing here. I've got to hurry through this, but there's another point to this. We're asking God to forgive us. But there's also a responsibility on our part. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou, be, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there thou rememberest that, there, that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first to be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. All right. I'm, I'm just not going to finish this. I'm just not going to finish this. But we've at least made it this far. Um, but, but let me just, t in fact, I tell you what, I think even this one point, I'm just going to wait and pick up on this next week, Lord willing, uh, because there's just, there's, there's just too much here for me to, 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 to hit this in 30 seconds and be done with it. So, Sister Regan, if you'll come. Um, um, Sometimes it takes more than just asking God for forgiveness. We'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll deal with this part of, of, oh, Lord, forgive next week, Lord willing. We'll, we'll talk about it then. But for now, but for now, just know this. Prayer is the most valuable tool we have. And it is the most important tool that we have. We need to pray. We need to pray. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord. Let's, let's talk to him right now. Let's ask him specifically.
to help us develop a better prayer life. Would you do that? Would you pray that right now? God, help me. I want my prayer life to become more effective, more effectual. I want to be successful in my prayers. Talk to him right where you are. We're going to close out right here. We're not going to have an altar call. But just talk to the Lord where you are right now, asking him to help you to get your prayer life the way he wants it to be.